So we're in week five. This is a spiritual warfare. Uh, interesting, I had a conversation with a guy who said, if I don't get up in the morning, this is yesterday, if I don't get up in the morning and uh, put on my, my armor, I'm going to lose the spiritual battle every day. He's a guy who struggled with addiction, and uh, I had him in, as, a, as a teenager, and just a, just a great guy, but a lot, of, a lot of battles. And I said, I'm actually in a series on spiritual warfare. You go on the website there. Uh, we're up to week five, so we'll have seven. This is a seven-part series. So today's the 8th and the 15th and 22nd, and we'll have a candlelight Christmas Eve service here in the, um, in the, uh, in the building at 6 p.m. on uh, on Christmas Eve, so if you have some friends and some of those priesters that go to church on Christmas and Easter, we'll take them also. It's all, it, it's all good. Everybody likes, uh, I think everybody likes the Christmas Eve service. Our theme is the uh, Ephesians 6.12 passage, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we've been talking about this uh, spiritual battle and the things that are going on and conversations I had with folks yesterday I hadn't seen for, for years and they were asking me about my job with hospice and I'm talking about some of the things that occur spiritually uh, with individuals because you know my goal is to get into home and see if I can get that, that, that individual either to reconnect with God or just, just come to the Lord uh, before, they, before they pass away. But it, it, is, it is a battle and uh, you come up against it on a daily basis, so you have to put that armor on. And probably Paul, when he was chained to a Roman soldier in Acts 28 when he was in prison there, is probably where this analogy comes from. He's talking about the Roman soldier uh, and everything that, they, that they're wearing, and that's this whole armor of God and all of these defensive uh, mechanisms that we put on. And uh, the only offensive weapon, of course, is the sword of the Spirit, which is, uh, which is the Word of God. Uh, we're supposed to recognize Satan's schemes, uh, what he does, what he, what he has, his desires are, and of course his desire is to ruin lives. That's what he likes to do. Ephesians 6.16 says this, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so that's what the shield did. To hold the shield up, the flaming arrows uh, would come in and would pre- uh, protect the other uh, pieces of equipment that they were wearing. So you think about faith, your faith today. What is it in your life right now that is causing you to live by faith? Most people have something. Most people have something that they wish God would take out of their life, but um, that's the way it is in the world. There's, there's, there's trouble. Jesus said in the world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you think about that for a moment, and these are the things that cause us to live by faith. You can't change it. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to walk by faith and trust the Lord. Um, you know, Paul had the same issue, you know, thorn in the flesh, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. So when I am weak, Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong, because then you're relying on the Lord. So, of course, I shared this uh, before. My, think about my uh, favorite Bible character. One of my favorite Bible characters was uh, Joshua, of course, from the Ten Commandments. I think that movie was like 1957. That was way back. So anyway, growing up Catholic, you, picked a conf- you had to pick a confirmation name. So I picked Joshua. You had to write a report. Uh, as to why you picked this, this guy. So if you remember the Ten Commandments, that movie, uh, he was buff, he was a stonecutter, uh, he, he had a tan, and he, and, he had a, and he had a beard. So that was what I put in my report. Of course, didn't do too, didn't do well in that report. The only thing we had in common was our name began with the letter J. Nevertheless, uh, that was my guy. But Joshua, Joshua was a, was a strong warrior, and a great man of God, filling the shoes of, uh, of Moses when Moses passed away. So go to Joshua chapter 6. 
So Joshua had great faith, and so like Joshua, he's an example. So all these individuals throughout Scripture, I have a book that I've read a couple times. It's every Bible character um, that, the, that Scripture talks about, and it gives, all, you know, everywhere Scripture talks about that person. And so you get that whole biography, and the individuals in Scripture are given to us as examples. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And so there's good examples and there's uh, bad examples in Scripture. And so um, I love reading about those biographies. So we read all those illustrations in the Old Testament. So you know, um, you know the story. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world and being in bondage and being in sin. And then the wilderness is kind of wandering around looking for some direction. And then the promised land, of course, is living the spirit-filled life. And God's will for people is to get out of bondage of the slavery of sin, to go through the desert so he can do some teaching to us, to prepare us for the spirit-filled life going into the promised land. And this is the problem the Hebrews had. They got into the promised land, and the first place they get to, they got, they got a battle. And this place is called the, the city of Jericho. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Hebrews 11.30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them uh, for seven days. And so the walls fell not by fame, fortune, friends, or fate. It happened by faith, and it was faith in Almighty God. So when we have strong faith, God will do supernatural things. And so God's plan was to build the faith of the people uh, just one battle at a time. And you read the entire book of Joshua, there was 31 battles, 31 battles, and they only had one loss, and it wasn't really a loss, it was a setback. Every time Joshua got ready for a battle, he went, into the, went to the Lord in prayer, except right after Jericho, they win the battle at Jericho, he says, take a bunch of guys down to Ai and uh, take over that city because it's small and don't tire the men out, and then come back. Well, they go down there uh, to Ai, and a bunch of guys lose their lives, and they come back. Of course, there was sin in the camp. And, and you read through that entire book, it was the only time, the only time that Joshua did not go to the Lord in, in prayer. And so that, of course, is, is the example. He learned, his, he learned his lesson. And the reason was is because Achan went into the city and took something. They weren't supposed to take anything. I'm going to get, that and get to that in a moment. But here's Joshua 6, and beginning in verse 1. Verse 1. The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast... On the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city uh, will collapse and the army will go up and everybody will go, uh, go straight in. So, um, so this is really not a military campaign. Uh, this is more of a religious ceremony that's going on here. And I imagine the people are up there on the walls wondering what these uh, Hebrews are doing and uh, marching around and I, you know, you wonder why they didn't shoot arrows or throw spears at them, uh, but they're marching around this city, Jericho. Jericho was about between 9 and 12 acres in size, and one circuit around the city it would take about an hour. You could drop your film off and get it in an hour. Remember you used to have to drop film off? That's like unheard of. Probably the young ones don't even know what, what, what that is. Uh, it would take about an hour, and so, um, so here they are. They're doing this by faith. 
They're walking around the city. Uh, instead of putting the military people in front, they were putting the priests in the front with these trumpets. Just like Gideon. I talked about Gideon a couple weeks ago. They didn't have any weapons. They had no weapons at all. And it was just faith in God that God was going to do something uh, supernatural. So verse 1 again in Joshua. The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. No one came in. So it was shut up tight. So uh, what's the observation of this city of Jericho? Uh, Jericho was a, a challenge of faith. Number one, it was a, it was a city of antiquity, one of the oldest cities uh, in the ancient world. Uh, it was powerful, it was strong, it was famous. Uh, some of the walls were as high as 46 feet high, and uh, homes were actually built inside the walls. They would the poorer people and the prostitutes and the shop owners, their homes were built inside the outer wall, and then they would have an inside wall. I'm going to get to Rahab in, in just a moment. Uh, number two, it was a city of iniquity. Um, you know, why does God continually judge nations? I hear this all the time. I got into a debate with this guy who was a, he was a speed reader and he went to some seminary and he was like an atheist. And I, when I worked uh, a year and a half in Atlantic City when I was finishing school, he would track me down every day. And now I'm thankful for the guy because he would make me go home and start reading and reading. And one of the things he said to me was, why did God send you know, Joshua and all the Israelites into that land and then wipe out all those people. And the reason is simple. It's because of sin. God wipes out an entire generation of people because of what's going on uh, in their lives. And in this uh, archaeological excavations of Jericho, uh, they were involved with religious, religious prostitution, infant sacrifice. I mean, and the list goes on. And so God's going to wipe out this you know, entire generation. So there was a woman, 1952 to 1958. Her name was Kathleen Kenyon. Kathleen was on a mission, and she wanted to disprove the Bible. Who said, is that not Jesus? You better hang it up. <laughs> Caught me off guard. So K Kathleen uh, wants to, if you, you can disprove the Bible, you're going to be famous. That was her goal. She's going to go to Jericho. She's going to disprove the Bible. She was an archaeologist, and she spent several years here at this site. She did not find what she wanted, so she didn't publish all of her notes. But a bunch of guys came in behind her and found her notes and like, hey, this is, this is crazy. So they published all of her, all of her notes. And th what they found was amazing because it was exactly what the biblical account in Joshua says what, what happened in Jericho. The first thing that happened was the wall, the front of the wall fell down into a ramp and the Israelites ran up inside. And there was one corner of the uh, entire city that did not fall at the same time as the rest of the city. And they believed that's where Rahab's house was because she hid the spies. And then Joshua said, you're not going to touch anybody in Rahab's house. So they believe that's where that was. And the other, the other thing uh, that they uncovered there was uh, giant urns that were filled with grain, uh, wedges of silver. You remember Achan took a wedge of silver and he took a mantle, a Babylonian mantle, hid it in his tent. And that's why they lost that battle at Ai because they took stuff. Everything there was devoted to God. You weren't supposed to take anything. But they uncovered these things. And one of the things you would do when you raided a, a, a city back in the day was you would take the grain. You know, there was no Walmart, to, no Walmart to go to. So you had to plant and you had to harvest and all those things. So all that stuff was there. And these things were found uh, by her, Kathleen Kenyon, but she didn't find what she wanted. She couldn't disprove it. She actually proved the Bible to be even more exact and so it was an exciting thing so that was um that was the battle there at Jericho and it was a giant you know a city of enormity that's your number three on your insert there uh, a huge city 
Uh, walls were at some point like 46 feet high. So our cities today are like Jericho. Uh, they're filled with uh, corruption, carnality. You know, you put, you put the news on every morning, watch the same news. There's one person, they never, they never sleep. It's the one that investigates all the shootings. So every morning you get on in Philadelphia, there's some kind of shootings and uh, it's, just, it's just crazy. And you watch the evening news and you wonder how long is it going to be before God's judgment comes on, uh, on America. You know, history tells us, if you go back to the beginning of recorded time, that God, the, the average age of a nation before God judges it for its sin is about 200 years, about 200 years. And so um, he lets the sin build up to the, to the brim and then he'll bring, uh, he'll bring judgment. It's over and over and over again. Because, you know, the city of, um, of Nineveh, you know, Jonah went to Nineveh and uh, he went there and everybody repented in sackcloth and ashes. If you study what happened after uh, Nineveh repented, they did not pass it on to the next generation because then they were judged in the next generation because they got back in, into their sins. So they didn't pass on that repentance to the, to the next group of, of folks there. And so the battle today is, is for souls. It's for souls, and that's the most important thing. Millions of people die uh, every year and go into a, uh, into a Christless eternity. And that's just... Um, you know, that's just the way it is. And I, was, I shared a story yesterday. Uh, I talked about the thief on the cross, because it's my favorite story, Luke 23, 43. Uh, hanging on the cross, being crucified because he was a thief. And so I gave a real-life story. I talked about being uh, called out uh, on a Friday night for uh, a fight between a husband and a wife. I mean, who fights with their husband who's on hospice? But they were fighting. And um, so I get there, and uh, the husband's laying on the floor naked. He's 86 years old, probably weighed about 86 pounds, and she's screaming at him. And uh, I'm not allowed to touch anybody. I can't touch a patient because you have to have special training, probably because of some lawyer. So I can't even touch a guy. So what do you do? You walk into a house, a woman who weighs 70 pounds, and she's got cancer, and he's 86, and he's laying on the floor, and he's, and he's crying. So what do you do? You pick him up, you get him dressed, you sit him in his chair, and he looked me right in the eye, and he was weeping. He said, Pastor, I'm going, I'm going to die. Am I going to hell? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And so that's why I believe his divine intervention got an opportunity to talk to him about the Lord, pray with him, led him to the Lord, he died the next day. And so those are the types of things that that soul is, that's so important. And Jesus said one soul, one soul is more important than the entire world. So here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. This is the uh, key verse for Bible Open Air Mission, by the way. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his uh, harvest field. And so Jesus is saying, pray and send, pray and send, pray and send. People got to go. You got you to get into the word and you got to pray and you got to go. And, you know, you got to reach some of, these, some of these lost people that are out there. I mean, you can go all around the world to reach lost souls. But your person living next door to you is just as lost as the person on the, on the other side of the planet. So remember years ago... Um, uh, there was a little girl fell in a well. I don't know. She was only like two or three years old. Jessica McClure, uh, her name was. And the, and the news was there, and they were bringing in equipment, and she fell on this long well, and um, the newspaper was on the newspapers on the radio, and it was, it was crazy. Everybody was watching us, trying to get this little girl out of this well. And uh, so it took days. She was down there for days, and eventually they did rescue her, and she even got to see the president. So don't fall into a well. Anyway, they get her out of there. <laughs> But in the whole process, nobody said, you're wasting too much money on just this one little girl. 
No one said anything like that. And so they thought that that was important, but how much more so for reaching, you know, reaching lost souls you know, that are headed for, again, a Christless eternity. So Joshua 6.1 again, uh, the gates were securely barred. And that's what Satan does. He wants to, uh, you know, bar up a, a, a city. He, you know, when you go into the open air, I did a lot of uh, street evangelism up in New York City. And the first time I went, I'm like, man, this, like, you, you can just feel like the evil going up into New York City. And I talked to Art Williams about that. I said, you know, I don't think I really want to do this anymore. <laughs> I said, I wanted to come up. I was excited to do it. But now I feel... I feel like there's a battle. He said, that's a spiritual battle. I said, how do you do this every day? He said, I get up every morning. I don't want to do it. If I don't get in prayer, I can't go. I got to be in prayer to get out there and to go and to, uh, and to reach souls. So you think about um, Jericho. What if they said, the guy's going in saying, wipe out everybody and kill, kill them all. So what if they said, yeah, we repent. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. What would have happened? Well, God would have for, forgiven them because that's what he did to Nineveh. Nineveh was worse than Jericho was. Nineveh was doing the same things that the people in Jericho were doing, but they were also capturing Israelis. They were in a war and they were skinning them alive. They were impaling their heads on poles and all kinds of horrible things. That's why Jonah didn't want to go there. You read the story of Jonah and God says, Jonah, just go to Nineveh. And he goes in the opposite direction. Well, he didn't want to go there because probably some of his family members were killed by these folks. And all he wants was judgment, judgment to come on um, the Ninevites. And that's why he got mad. You remember he sat up on the hill? He said, I'm so angry I could just die. I want you to blow up this city or whatever he was going to do to it. And so we, we tend to judge um, Jonah, but we have to forget there's a little bit of a history there about these people. They were horrible, horrible people uh, in Nineveh. But anyway, Satan has a purpose for people, uh, just like he did for the Hebrews. Number one, to keep them in Egypt in bondage to be slaves of sin. That's what he wants. Just a slave to sin. Life's going good. Just keep, just, just stay there. He doesn't want people to come to Christ. He don't want to, uh, people to get into, you know, God's plan. He's trying to capture as many souls as he can. Uh, he hates you because you were made in the image of God and you are God's, um, uh, perfect part of creation. Man is God's pinnacle. And Satan hates you, it's just the way it is. Number two, uh, he wants to keep them wandering in the wilderness with no direction, no purpose in life. Uh, he wants them to be hopeless and doesn't want them to get into that promised land. And thirdly, to cause them to doubt. He wants you to doubt as you stare at impossible situations. And of course, he wants you to blame it on God. It's all God's fault. God could fix it, so he wanted to fix it, uh, but he doesn't. Don't feel like my prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling. And um, that's what he does over and over again. He only has a couple of tricks, but he, he does a pretty good job with them. So you think about the crossing the uh, Jordan River when they were getting into promised land. So now they get there, they go through all, God does all these miracles and now 40 years passes. Okay, now we're going to the promised land and they get there. The Jordan River is at flood stage. You can't cross the Jordan River at flood stage. When did the river stop flowing? As soon as that priest stepped in there. So it took faith for him to step into that river it wasn't saying, Lord, stop the river. We, we can't get in there. It's flowing too hard. God says, cross the river. And as soon as that priest put his foot in that Jordan River, God stopped it. And they walked across on dry ground, just like they did with the Red Sea. They went down into the, into the promised land. Uh, but there's a battle. Even when you get into the promised land, there's going to be battles. Satan will battle you all the way through the promised land. And that's what it is for the Hebrews. The example is for us. You go to Jericho, it's a battle. But if you have faith, you're going to win the battle. You're going to move on and on and on and battle after battle. 
Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So why does, the, why does Satan continue to badger believers? Because he's afraid of spirit-filled Christians. Because spirit-filled Christians are the ones that are doing the Lord's work. And so we have to always put on the armor. Be wary of the spiritual battle. You know, be in observation of what's going on around us. And just pray for those different opportunities that God's going to give you. And, and as I shared with that man, the story I just told you about that man, I could go three or four days and I'm going to be 24 dementia patients that are staring blankly at me. And I'm thinking like, where, you know, where do I go from here? And I was down in, uh, and it's horrible, these, these diseases that these folks have. And I was down at uh, Victoria Manor, down in Cape May. And I'm sitting there, a lady walks in, pulls down her pants and poops on the floor in front of me. I got on the phone with the, my wife and I said, I went to school for seven years and this lady just walked in and it's just, a, it just, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. But then they look for those opportunities like the man, uh, you know, am, am, I going, am I going to die? And it, over and over again, the opportunities are there, but you have to look, they're few and far between. Uh, but that's the way it is in the, with that uh, spiritual battle. And Satan wants to discourage you however he does that. And... Um, but we got to be in the battle. Joshua 6.2 again. I have delivered. That's what God said. I have delivered. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It didn't even happen yet. But he's telling them, you know, that I have delivered him, delivered this whole city into your, into your hands. So God has a plan for Christians to take back their communities and their cities. And we're concerned about the opioid crisis and the, um, all, the, all the nonsense that's going on out there in the world. This nation was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether people like it or not, if you read through the history of this country, it's just the way it is. There's scripture everywhere. There's scripture all over buildings down in Washington, D.C. And this nation, I believe, has been the most prosperous nation probably in the history of mankind. And the reason I believe that it is is because this nation is sending missionaries out, sending missionaries out. They're taking the gospel. They're taking the gospel. And also, I believe, because we befriended Israel. Israel are God's chosen. God still has a plan for them. So I believe those, those two major reasons. But what's happening is missionaries are retiring and coming home and they're not, those new ones aren't going out. So they're getting fewer, fewer and fewer missionaries out there. And so that's not really a good thing because we want the gospel to continue to get out there. Verse 3. There he goes. March around the city. Once with all the armed men do this for six days. And so it's, again, an unusual battle, uh, especially for a guy like Joshua, who's a military guy. Uh, all those years out there with the battles that they had going through the wilderness. But he was obedient and he had faith. Because you remember going back 40 years ago, it was Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, there's giants in the land. It was, it was a bunch of Goliaths. You know, there just wasn't one giant in the Bible. There was a whole bunch of them. And they were in the land. They were called the Nephilim. And they said, yeah, the, the land is good and agriculture is good, but the Nephilim are there. These were the giants. And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, they're there. And we look small in their eyes, but with God's help, you know, we can win the battle. We can win the battle. And they had the faith, and that, that's a, a great example for us. So you got seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days, seven circuits on the seventh day. Seven is the number of completion and perfection uh, throughout Scripture. And so they took the city by faith, not by force. They took it by faith. Verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest 
and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And so uh, Joshua uh, never questioned. He, uh, he just, as soon as the Lord told him something, he went and did it. Unlike Moses, oh, Moses all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, God's telling him what to do and Moses is making excuses to get someone else. I can't talk, I mumble, I, I stutter, I don't want to do it. But Joshua uh, did it right away. Verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant uh, followed them. And so they probably got orders on a daily basis, and it was all about faith. How much faith do you have? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And that's what God's asking them. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. James 4.14. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so we have to treat every day as a gift from the Lord. We can't change yesterday. Tomorrow is not promised for any of us. Tomorrow can bring a thousand unknowns. We don't know. We don't know. So we go one day at a time. One day at a time. And so... We have today, and that's what's in front of us. We need to have unwavering faith to win the victory in the spiritual battle. Verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took, uh, they took the city. And this is, this is that one part. The wall fell down, and it made almost like a ramp, and they ran up inside there. And uh, again, some of these walls were... Um, probably as high as uh, 46 feet, according to this uh, uh, archaeological findings. And some of them say, well, it was an earthquake that happened at, at that exact time. There was no earthquake. This was a divine intervention. And God got involved in this situation. So here's what's interesting. I want to talk about God's grace for a moment. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a heathen in a heathen city, and she was a prostitute. The spies come in, and she hides these spies because she heard the stories about the Hebrews coming from Egypt and all the things that God was doing. So Joshua says, save her and her household. So everyone else dies. Rahab and her household are saved. Rahab converts to Judaism, and Rahab is in the genealogy of Christ. And she was a prostitute. And this is what I try to tell people over and over again about God's grace. And you look at the genealogy of Christ, and you're going to see some crazy stuff It's in there. And one of them is this, uh, is this Rahab. And then God is pointing out that, you know, I know the heart, and it's all about my grace. So in the gold rush days of 1849, as many wagon trains were heading out there, there was a sign that you would pass, and this is what it said. Choose your rut carefully, for you will be there for a long time. And so we have to be careful in our churches that we don't get into these ruts and these rituals because then God's going to, he's going to shake it up a little bit because sometimes ruts are, are hard to get out of. And so we always have to be uh, asking the Lord for a fresh touch uh, in, in our lives from him, you know, a new filling of, of his spirit, if you will. Uh, ask him to do miracles in your life. Ask him for uh, opportunities. My wife went to the, um, uh, some store, I don't know. Not the dollar store. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She was at the store shop. She was at the store shopping, just walking around, and she just made uh, eye contact with this woman. She made eye contact with this with this woman, 
And she's like, how are you? And the woman just said, I'm sad. And my wife, my wife doesn't need this at this time in her life. So this, she goes, I'm sad. And she get, they get into this conversation and she talks about what's going on in her life. And she said uh, her son had just died at 37 years old. And the daughter-in-law left and took the grandkids to somewhere across the country. And she doesn't even want to have Christmas. And so they have this conversation about loss and about you know, emptiness in life and how difficult life is. And so my wife's given her the gospel message and praying with this woman in the middle of this store, whatever store that it was. And I think when we are going through something and we just say, Lord, I can't change it. I can't do anything about it. Can you just give me an opportunity just to do something for you? There was a, one, um, a situation that I was going through year, years ago and I can't change it. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I just uh, give me somebody to share my faith with today. So I was at in Summers Point at the um, fitness center. I went to the Point Diner. The waitress sits down next to me because I'm reading my little Gideon's Bible when I used to be able to read without glasses. And she says, is that a Bible you're reading? And I said, yes, it is. So she sits down like, I got to talk to you. I got some questions. I'm within the hour, within the hour of asking God for an opportunity to talk to someone about my faith. And he does it over and over again. Uh, with God, all things are possible, but we have to be looking for them. Uh, we have to be asking for them and we pray for them and we can be in that battle. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, and thank you again uh, for today. As we are in this spiritual battle, help us uh, to look for the opportunities to uh, share our faith and come alongside of those that are hurting, especially as we get into the holiday season uh, when so many folks are, are missing loved ones. Uh, and I pray that for each of us that we would be an encouragement to all those that we come in contact with. I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.